Hello, and uh, this is uh, the third edition of uh, Not the Wikipedia Weekly. Uh, we've got this little virtual uh, Skype cast room, and uh, in a moment I'll introduce you. Uh, I, that's I'm Private Musings, and I'll just get everyone here to say hello in a mo. Um, but before I do, I wanted to to say that I, I checked the uh, the tool that allows us to monitor the page views of Wikipedia Weekly, and I saw that there's about 1,400 uh, page views here, so I'm very pleased that some people are listening. I can only be responsible for about a thousand of them myself, I'm sure, so uh, good, to, good to see that they're out there. Um, in the room today, we've got uh, Majorly. Hello. And we've got Daroba. Hello. And we have Zaginda. Hello. And we've got Raoul654. Hello. And perhaps most excitingly of all, which we're going to kick off with today, we've got um, our executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, Sue Gardner. Hiya. And Sue, did I get that right? That's, that's your correct uh, name, isn't it? The executive director. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I thought we'd kick off by, um, Raoul, you were saying that you'd noticed some stuff online that you thought would be best to address and then, you know, if only just to kick to the curb, so to speak. So over to Raoul for the first bit. Saying that Jimbo... Can we just cut out there? No, do carry on, Raoul. Okay. Um, there was an article in Valleywag I noticed as of, what, today or yesterday? Uh, as, of, as of today at 6 o'clock a.m., uh, saying that Sue and Jimbo had had a previous relationship that, um, let me see if I can read it verbatim. Uh, a Valleywag commentator has held back, writes, media whore meow. I hear this chick had an interesting job interview with Jimbo in Amsterdam. That's one way of putting it. More precisely, Wikimedia Foundation employees say they witnessed Gardner and Wales making out last June in Amsterdam, shortly before she was hired as a consultant to the Wikipedia nonprofit. <laughs> At least one had a camera phone. We haven't gotten any pictures yet. Surely they must be circulating. Anyone care to send them in? Oh, so dear. <laughs> you know that Geek Life has hit the big time when they actually have that kind of stuff published about us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess, I yeah, I actually asked you, to be fair, Mark, I asked you to bring that up because I thought it was probably just as good to bring it up and then dispel it. This is Sue, by the way. Um, and I guess before this morning, I used to think that Valleywag was written for, you know, 11-year-old boys. And I guess after having read that, I now think that Valleywag, it, it would be unfair. It would be a disservice to 11-year-old boys to say that they're the target audience for it. You know, I mean... I, so just be I, clear, you absolutely no truth. <laughs> yeah, there's no truth to it. I am. Um, I, I said it on ComCom, and I know. I just. I just want to make it really clear to people because there's no truth to it. I am completely denying it. It's ludicrous. Jimmy also says it's ludicrous. It's just nuts. All right. <laughs> and Raoul, were, were you in Amsterdam? Uh, no. Oh, so um, we can't. We can't get a Raoul and Sue sort of rumor into Valleywags by hook or by crook. Sure we could. Valleywag would take anything. <laughs> well, I've never met Jimbo, so don't say anything about me. <laughs> well, with that one. You know, Durova, when we moved to the Bay Area, a friend of mine who does PR for a lot of startup firms told me, she said, be really careful that you don't get into Valleywag because she said they have a problem with women. And I have to say, I mean, that's been my experience with them just reading it. It's gossipy. 
and it's it's rumors and nonsense. But really, I think I have yet to read an article about a woman in Valley Rack that doesn't focus on her sex life. It's just kind of pathetic. And I guess that's uh, we can we can move on from Valleywag there now to um, I, I wanted to ask you oh, Sue. One, one more thing while we're on the subject, if you don't mind my asking. Um, were the Danny Danny had also made some accusations, and the foundation had also more or less said there was absolutely no truth to that. Do you just want to you know kind of expand on that, like reiterate it? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to spend a couple of minutes on that? Because I'm fine to do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, be, okay. I'd be fascinated to hear what has to be said. Since, since it's kind of a he said, she said, it's always interesting to hear people, or at least at this point, you know, that that's what has been circulating. Sure. So here, here's what I would say about that, and I'll probably talk for a couple of minutes, so just interrupt me if you want to. Um, the reason the reason I agreed to come on this podcast, I mean, I would have anyway, obviously, I would come on and talk, but, um, but the particular reason that I was willing to come on and talk um, this week was because of something Jerova said last week. So Jerova said that she still had some questions about what, what had happened, and she was hoping to get some answers. And I thought about that, you know, and, and our, our, our feeling thus far at the foundation level has been that we don't want to get down in the mud with people, right? Because, you know, as is proven by the Valleywag thing, people can make up anything that they want, right? I don't think it's, it makes sense for the staff to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy on kind of rebutting allegations, especially where they're maybe not terribly clear or they're insinuations or they're unsupported or whatever, right? Because I really do think that, you know, the, 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 the foundation is a huge and really well-known organization. More to the point, Wikipedia is huge and really well-known. And so we could spend our whole lives defending ourselves against whatever if, if, if that's how we chose to spend our time. But on the other hand... You know, I took what Jerova said to heart, right? I thought if people do have concerns and they have questions and just one flat-out denial isn't, isn't enough to answer the questions that they've got, then I owe it to them, and I think it's fair, to be accountable and to talk about stuff a little bit more. So I'm going to do that for a second. So basically, you know, my experience of this has been, it has been quite frustrating um, for me. You know, my job is to ensure that the foundation is financially sustainable, and that it's operationally s- sustainable, that the lights stay on, we get the bills paid and all that kind of thing, so that it can continue to support the projects, which are really, really important in doing good things in the world, right? So what Danny has said in his blog has taken up quite a bit of my time in the last couple of weeks because I did have to do an investigation. I did have to make some kind of assessment of was there any truth to what he was saying. It wasn't easy for me to do that because I wasn't here in 2005. So I had to talk to a variety of people. I had to look at records. I had to do a bunch of stuff. And I have done that. And I don't have any evidence to support the idea that Jimmy behaved improperly in any kind of way. I have to say it's hard because it's really difficult to prove that something did not happen, right? Is it, it's is it possible? So, is it possible without going into sure. you know, without breaking confidence? I think who could you say who you were able to talk to or or? Yeah, I talked to Brad Patrick and I talked to some of the other staff who were around at the time, people who were involved with the projects and so forth. Most of my time I spent talking to Brad. Brad's my counterpart, right? He was the executive director at the time. So he's where the buck stops, so I spoke with him. So the upshot to me, now, you know... Wait, is now, Jimbo made a specific... Now, Danny made a specific uh, claim that Jimbo's credit card had been taken away because of excessive spending or personal spending. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, that's not true. To the best of my ability to reconstruct what happens, nobody but Danny is suggesting that that actually happened. You know? So let me talk for a second about um, an area of it that 
I, I, I know myself because I was there, so I can speak comfortably to this. So, for example, and again, you know, I say this at the risk of getting down in the mud, so I want to be, you know, a little bit sort of cognizant of that. But there was a later post where Danny talked about um, Eric and Elevation and Jimmy and me, and he sort of made a number of allegations there. So I can say a bunch of stuff with, you know, total confidence about that. Danny said that there was some kind of secret meeting between me and Roger McNamee. That's not true. The meeting was not a secret. It was completely known to everybody. There was no reason for it to be a secret. He said that I came back from San Francisco the same day of the meeting. I didn't come back the same day of the meeting. He said in that same post that Alita had complained about Jimmy. Alita's the bookkeeper, right, the accountant in St. Petersburg. He said that Alita had made some kind of complaint about Jimmy and that Jimmy had asked for her to be fired. That's ridiculous. It's just not true. And there was a whole piece of information in there, a number of allegations about Eric and Eric's visa, and all of that was completely untrue as well. So, you know, I was a journalist for a long time. I've been a manager for quite a long time. My job is to assess these kinds of claims. I've done it before. I've investigated whistleblowing allegations. I don't see any reason to attach any credence to any of this. You know, it would be different, and the reason, the reason I take it seriously is because if Danny was indeed bringing up serious problems that need to be addressed by the organization, that would be a service to the organization. That's what whistleblowing is. And serious whistleblowing needs to be investigated, it needs to be welcomed, it needs to be embraced and looked into. But this isn't serious whistleblowing. So what I want to do, if you don't mind, is I want to go on for a second and just talk a little bit about the impact of it, okay? Yeah, right. go ahead. Sure. Okay, but jump in, you know, if you want, just jump in. No, this but, is fascinating. I'm very interested to hear this. Yes, I'm, and I'm very grateful that you, you came. I'm, I'm actually, I don't know, flattered, I guess, that, that you named me particularly. <laughs> but thank you very much. I want to hear. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Seriously, because, I mean, I take the community seriously, right? You are the people who make the projects. You are the people who do the work and make this thing possible. So I do want to be responsive, but at the same time, I have two concerns, right? One is the time and energy of the staff. You know we're like 14 people. I have spent most of today talking to various media. That's okay. I don't mind it. But it means that it's time that I'm not spending doing other things that actually need to get done, right? But the second reason that I find it kind of irritating is because, you know, like I said at the beginning, my job is to make sure that the foundation is okay and that it has the money it needs to pay the bandwidth bill and all of that. And there is no doubt <coughs> There, there's no doubt in my mind that these allegations have adversely affected people's willingness to donate to the Wikimedia Foundation. And that's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Eric and I are actively engaged, we have been for a couple of months, in soliciting major donations. We've been visiting people around the valley asking them for money, right? These are long-term conversations. They take months to develop. They take months to play out. We're, we're not asking. It's unrestricted donations, right? We're just asking people, you know, we think the projects are amazing. Please help us. And, you know, a surprising number of people will do that. It's a fabulous thing. As an outcome of Danny's blog postings, I will not be surprised if someone who had been leaning towards saying, yeah, sure, I will help you, is now leaning towards saying, you know, I've got better things to do with my money, right? That's a I think that's, I think that's, I think that's probably, I mean, that's, you know, probably true, isn't it? It's, it's unlikely to have a good effect and it's quite likely to have a, uh, an effect on the donations. And I was going to ask you something about that in a while. I, I just thought it, when we had Danny on and we were chatting away and, uh, also list, it, yeah. it's good to hear what you're saying about community. Um, I, I've, in talking with various people, Danny, of course, was, was 
as well as being the the employee and the ex-employee rather yeah. he's he's quite a long he's been around the community quite a long uh, long time and um i think there is support uh for danny personally sort of out there um and uh-huh. i just i guess what um what i took from our conversation which you've probably listened you know the the previous one yep. the the one sort of very specific thing that that danny seems to be uh stuck on if you like or or persistent with is the the assertion that that Jimbo uh, had? I think Danny feels that Jimbo knew that he'd done something wrong because Danny asserts that Jimbo wrote the foundation a check. Right. I really don't want to get into that, you know. And it's yeah. not because there's anything untoward in it. It's just a really long and complicated thing, and I wasn't there, and I have a hard time fully reconstructing it you know no doubt yeah no doubt what, what i can what i but what i can tell you is what i said before right like jimmy didn't do anything problematic in any way with the foundation's money it's it's a little more complicated than that but that's the upshot of it he didn't try to do anything untoward and he didn't do anything untoward you know i and and what i have to say about all this is that like you know I, I can't see, I'm not going to try and speculate about why Danny is having the conversations that he's having and, and why he's doing this. I don't know why. But I've got to say, my, having, I've only known Danny for, uh, for about you know, a fortnight or so or a few weeks. Um, and my impression was that for you know, whether, he's, uh, whether it's successful or not, I got a distinct impression of good intentions. Uh, but that's, that was just me. Yeah, I, and- Oh, sorry. You want to go on? Or? Go ahead. No, no. no I just want to say that I just want to say that I met Danny um, at one of the very first Wikipedia meetups in this country in Boston in 2004. It's also the first time I met Jimmy um, because of uh, God James Day. Uh, he, he he left his luggage somewhere, so we all ended up. I missed my train. Danny missed his train. We ended up spending the night um, the three of us with uh, at SJ's house. We crashed at his place. Um, and so, you know, I spent like a good day and a half day with him and struck me as a very reasonable, honest, intelligent person. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just, just to put in a good word for his character, I, that, that's why, you know, I find it hard to believe that he's just making these up out of whole cloth. If I may uh, jump in at this point. Um, I'm one of the volunteers who I, I don't think I've ever physically been to a meetup, although I have met a couple of other uh, Wikipedians face to face. And I don't go back as far as as Mark and Danny and some of these other people do. Um, but he sounded sincere to me, and uh, knowing him pretty much exclusively from reputation. Hearing something as serious as that coming from Danny, it's just not the sort of thing that I would dismiss out of hand. Um, the way that I, you know, would look skeptically at a something coming out of Valleywag. Uh, he has some credibility, at least on the face of it, and he seemed quite sincere. Like I said, you know, I, I, I don't have a position on Danny, right? I don't have a position on him as a good guy or a bad guy. He and I had lunch, I think, a couple of times. We went for a drink once with Michael Davis. You know, he and I are reasonably free. So I don't have a position on Danny, right? And I don't have a position on why he's doing this. I really don't. But what, what I have to say, though, is that I can't understand how he could possibly think or any 
or anyone listening or whatever could possibly think that this in any way supports the organization or supports the mission of the stuff that we're trying to get done here, you know? I mean, we're not in a situation where he can say that he's looking to correct some kind of existing there's no whistle blowing, you know? If you look, the allegations Sorry, there's... I'm sorry, are we having some technical difficulty? Uh, Sue, I think we can now now hear you. I think Derova's mic has just uh, played up a little. Sue, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, can do carry on. Okay, so, sure. So basically what I was going to say was, you know, like just, like we're talking about things that happened or did not happen in 2005, right? That is three years ago. That is half the total lifetime of this organization, right? Even if those things were true, which they are not true, Lots of things have changed since then. The board leadership has changed. The executive leadership of the foundation has been changed. I've been implementing tons of controls that you can see them. They're all on the foundation website, right? So I just don't understand how in that context what Danny is doing can be construed as in any way helpful. And frankly, even this conversation, you know, it's on the Internet. People can listen to it. They can share it around with their friends and so forth. I, I, I really am torn because I want to be accountable and I want to be responsive to the community and I want to answer people's legitimate good faith questions. But at the same time, I just don't see how the conversation in any way helps anyone get our job done. I think so. I mean, I, I job think as an organization, not my job. <laughs> yeah. your, your candor and your willingness to come and chat is, is also, I mean, from my point of view, and I'm sure others very much appreciated. Um, I think you're right that this can turn into a bit of a time sink and a bit of a uh, well, waste of waste of time, I guess that that describes it. Um, so, if it's okay with all in the room right now, um, you know we've we've covered that to some degree, and I, I'd like to move on. Um, and actually, actually, I'd just like to ask. Ask. Can I just ask one more question to Sue? Go for it, Ralph. Can you talk about the financials a little and the effects of the recent fundraiser? Because there was there was some some issue going around about that it didn't reach its target goal. Or can can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, actually, oh, sure, Raoul, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just say, could I just, I'm, I'm sorry to preempt you. I have got a, I've actually got a little question that I've noted here that is almost that exact same question. But I thought just okay. to allow the, the listener a bit of background as well, I, I just wanted to ask Sue, like, um, you know, when you first heard of Wikipedia and, and how long you've been with us and all that sort of stuff, just for the record. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, when did I first hear of Wikipedia? It was a long, long time ago. And it was I was working in a newsroom at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which is public broadcasting, mission driven, blah, blah, you know, public broadcasting in Canada. And it's probably um, it's probably self-evident from that. But uh, are you Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Sorry. I just... yeah. I'm going to be very much Canadian. I don't know. But yeah, I'm Canadian. So I, work, I worked for the CBC for a long time. I worked in radio. I worked in television. And then I worked on the Internet. And I think the first time I'd heard of Wikipedia was shortly after I moved over to, to the online um, arm of the company. And the, the, the very young interns were using it. And I remember having conversations in the newsroom about what would we do about these very young interns who are going to Wikipedia. And it was interesting to me to watch the arc of change over time. Right, because in the beginning it was considered very much not credible, and and it was sort of anathema that these kids were using it to, to sort of start their research for their stories. Um, but over time, in the years that I was there, um, gradually became much, much, much more accepted, which I think parallels our story, Wikipedia's story, everywhere, right? And I think is quite interesting and speaks to its increasing credibility. Yeah, and um, and you joined. I, I think they just won't right say it saying. publicly. Using <laughs> <laughs> us publicly. <laughs> It's okay as a first source. Everyone agrees it's okay as a first source, I think. Well, some, some Hollywood films use it quite extensively, don't they, Ralph? 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're referring to uh, the last Mimsy, which copied some of my uh, my pictures. So be careful what you contribute to Wikipedia, kids. It'll end up in the in the movies. Uh, but back to the, back to you, Sue, for a sec. Uh, you were you you came to us. Was it you mentioned in in talking about the the, the uh, you know the the scandal stuff at the moment that you've been with us? I think since last July or is it June? Something like that. End of June. Yeah, the last week of June, I think. And um, I, I sort of this is a cheesy interview question, but it's the best I could come up with, <laughs> and I hope it leads into sort of. Uh, what some of the stuff that is, you know, positive to talk about, and we, we will get onto the money thing in just a sec. But uh, where do you see the foundation heading in the next sort of year and and two years and three years? And and uh, I also like to ask you personally if um if are you are you with us for uh, you know will you be with us in three years time? Do you think? I'm going to be with us for as long as I can help. You know, for, for as long as I can I can do good things for the organization. So. The reason I, I, I'm very happy to be here for a number of reasons. So let me talk about that a little bit, and then I'll talk about what I'm hoping to do. Um, uh, the, the first thing that drew me, obviously, was the mission, right? Like the free information for everybody in the world who could not get behind that, right? So that makes tons of sense. But the second thing that made me want to come here was the impact, right? Because there are lots of well-intentioned people in the world trying to do good things. It's really hard to effectively do good things that actually, you know, are useful. And Wikipedia's impact is undeniable, right? It's relevant, it's useful, people use it all the time, it's incredibly popular. So that was the second reason. But the third thing that drew me to the organization um, was that I had gone through a similar transition to what I think this organization is facing at the CBC. So the CBC is a, is a very old, established in 1936, um, public broadcasting entity. Um, and it started uh, doing online experimentation sort of in the middle, I think the middle 90s. So when I yeah. moved over to the Internet at CBC, um, it was in about, I think, 2000, maybe it was 2001, I think it was 2000. When I moved over to the online piece, it was really young, right? It was a baby or an adolescent organization in organizational development parlance, right? And so really what I was able to do there, and, and I enjoyed it, it was a lot of fun, what I was able to do was take this thing that was quite young and help it sort of go to the next stage of maturity. It's a normal thing. There, there's and is it, um, I, in I, it, right? In reading your uh, some information online, Sue, I I, I said I I, um, I read that one of the um, one of your major innovations at the CBC was to increase revenue through advertising. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I worked on a massive expansion of advertising on the website, which I was very clear with the board when I came here, and I'm happy to be very clear with you guys too, is not what I think is the right answer for Wikipedia. It was the right answer for the CBC because of our particular circumstances, right? You know, I think I think, I think we may said, we may return to we may return to that whole thing as a as a separate topic another day because uh, I, sure. you know, there's some there's some thought. I mean, I personally think that the 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 argument to include advertising somewhere is pretty strong, and I'd be you know I'm quite happy for that. I know that there's a, there's a whole series of strongly held opinions across the board there. I, I'll just ask Major yeah, at this point just because he's been sitting so quietly, and and I know that he's there. Major, are you do you have any thoughts on advertising at Wiki at all? Well, I think um, advertising would be a good idea, to be honest. Um, it would, it's to do with um, things like money. Think of all the money that um, we could be raising through advertising. And as thing. I said, I think we might return to that uh, longer and on. Um, I, just, I also wanted to just bring you in, Majorly, um, to see, you know, have you got any reactions or questions just before we move on to sort of board finance to, to what, uh, what we've all said so far, really? 
Uh, no, I've been listening and um, I think everything's been answered. That's good stuff. Well, as I said, Raoul was, was going to put the question and I sort of held him off just because, I, I, you know, I wanted to. We talked about the impacts of fundraising and, and uh, the, the directions. Uh, there's some, um, in terms of the, the, the larger mission, you know, the, the, the world knowledge to everyone, um, there seems to me to be sometimes there's a tension between, uh, the, you know, the we just run a website and we want to give world knowledge to everyone. And I guess uh, the financial implications, if we had lots of money, then I no doubt we'd be looking at um, DVD versions and print versions or, or certainly they'd be discussed. Um, uh, have you got any thoughts just before we go on to the, the number crunching just briefly, Sue? Are you, is the foundation looking at things like, uh, you know, putting Wikipedia onto laptops in the third world and giving away laptops or is that the kind of blue sky direction that, that, um, you know, inspires you? Yeah, sure. I mean, essentially, the mission, as I understand it, is to disseminate free information to everybody in the world, right? My understanding of the situation is that we've done a really good job in building a rich and fantastic website that reaches people in lots of different languages, lots of places around the world. But we are. So, would you feel? People, would you feel that the? Um, would you feel that the? That we we should start to look beyond the website into new, you know, new forums. Absolutely. Yeah. But I don't think let me just say, though, that I don't think that that necessarily needs to be tremendously expensive. Right. I what I would see our role as in doing that is facilitating it again. Right. So developing partnerships. We have a partnership with one laptop or child. Right. Developing partnerships with other people so that they can extract from us what they need and go and publish it in books or DVDs or USB sticks or pamphlets or whatever it is that they need. And right? that's we just want to. And get that's the way there. they should be doing it, frankly. They, they really um, you know, they should be providing technical support to others who are essentially more experienced and more qualified at getting stuff into Africa. You know, getting stuff yeah. into DVD. You know, you're qualified to put stuff on like DVD to do the technical stuff, and then they should be the ones distributing it. Essentially, at least. Yeah, that's what? correct. No, that's correct. And that's what we've been talking about with the board and so forth is this idea that we don't have expertise in Namibia, right? We don't know very much about Cambodia and how to get things done there, but other people do know, right? So we want to facilitate and support them in doing that. I think that's entirely consistent with the license and the mission and what we're all trying to do. What do you think and I'll just refer to once more, sorry to interrupt you again, Raoul, just the, the New York Times article, which I'll put the, um, it is a New York Times article that came out, I think, yesterday, is that right? Yeah. And uh, they mentioned you mentioned that um, it was mentioned about books and trivia games, and I wondered if there were uh, your thoughts on those two specific directions that that might be taken. Oh gosh, I got a great email from a guy today who wants to make a trivia game. He's very smart. He's working with the New Yorker and some other people. Um, yeah, my understanding is that we've gone down a little bit down the road of the trivia game or the trivia game show on television, um, and. The, the challenge there is that trivia games are fundamentally competitive, right? And we are fundamentally. I'd actually raise the, so I'd raise the concern that the, uh, the uh, an oft an oft held and quite difficult to debunk criticism of Wikipedia uh, often relates to trivia. So I'd be nervous about the synergy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, there's challenges for sure. And in terms of the books, the Germans have, have done, the German chapter has done a number of books with, I think, direct media, right? And that's worked out, I think, fairly well. Raoul, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, on the, in the area of trivia, it's, it's funny you should mention that. I do, like, Quiz Bowl, which is um, sort of like Jeopardy for adults, like difficult level quiz and trivia. And you know, uh -huh. the, guy, the guy who edits ACF, the, the most academic, most difficult circuit of that, 
Um, he absolutely prohibits uh, Wikipedia. And if he, if he finds you <laughs> finds you actually getting information from Wikipedia, it's an automatic ten dollars on your on your registration fee for every question he finds that you submit like that. Oh dear. <laughs> well, that will pose him awful trouble when Wikipedia is the sum of all human knowledge, won't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I have a question, actually. Um, Sue, would you consider modeling a game show on something like the Family Feud model, where you've got teams of people collaborating among their teams? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that's the kind of idea that, that we've been, because we're not going to design a game show, right, at the foundation. Someone's going to come to us and pitch something interesting. And I think my impression is that before my time and with me here now, we're waiting for the right pitch, right? We're waiting for someone to come to us that, with something that, that, that is coherent with, with, with our values, you know? So, so this, I tell you what, the, uh, the not the Wikipedia Weekly team could take on the Wikipedia Weekly team. And we'd, you know, we'd know once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, this, this would be an actual licensed show called the Wikipedia Game Show or something like that? <laughs> well, that's the theory. That's what people are pitching to us. Okay, now moving, huh. moving on from game shows and, and trivia, um, just a, a word yeah. on, the, on the financial side um, that Raoul brought up. I'll just say my thing and then I'll see if Raoul wants to frame it into a question. Um, uh, while I was looking um, at the Wikimedia Foundation article on Wikipedia, First of all, uh, when we began this podcast, I pointed, or just before we started recording, I, I pointed out to Sue uh, rather jokingly that she wasn't actually listed as a key person, um, which up until about an hour ago she wasn't. And uh, majorly, being a, a good little wiki editor, went in and fixed it up. So now you can see uh, at the article that Sue Gardner is indeed a key person for the Wikimedia Foundation. Uh, but much. what I did see is that the 2007 revenue was $2,734,909. And the, the link that it gave me to look through at the budget was that $4,611,000 is planned to be spent. Um, if you allow that 2.7 is roughly half of 4.6, uh, my math isn't good enough to argue with that, then um, are we going to run out of money in June or July? Um. I think Raul asked the question was, um, had the fundraiser fallen short of expectations? And the answer to that is, is no, it didn't fall short of expectations. We actually didn't have particular expectations going in. We really didn't know how much we would expect to raise. Right? So we went in just seeing what we would raise. But we did go in knowing that it wasn't going to cover the full 4.6 projected, 4.6 million projected budget. We didn't know that. And happily, you know, that budget was constructed. I, I don't know if you've ever built a budget, but it, 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 it's constructed mostly based on historical data and mostly based on, um, on, on expectations of future growth, right? It was a rough budget to put together. We didn't have a lot of historical data, and we knew that things were going um, to change considerably. So it was a super is there, Sue, Sue, is there, just on that, is yeah. there a reason? Is the, um, was the, the, the 4.6 rough budget? That, that must surely yeah. have indicated some kind of expectation of the, of the fundraisers in that year? No, because what you do is, well, there's two points, right? One thing is when you make a budget, you try and make it really um, conservative, by which I mean you, you posit that you're going to need more than you think you actually will need, right? The reason you do that is because, you know, it's safer, right? Then you have a pad in theory, you know? So that's one thing. But the other thing is we never expect the fundraiser to make all that money. The fundraiser has never paid the full operating. I should be careful what I say. I'm not positive. The fundraiser, I don't think, has ever paid the full operating budget of the foundation, right? We've always had other donations. 
donations. There have been a couple of small grants over the years and so forth. So in this fiscal year, in this calendar, well, this fiscal year, we got a $500,000 donation in December in addition to the fundraiser. We got a $500,000 donation um, last week in addition to the fundraiser. And we expect that we're going to continue, right? We expect, and this is again why why I'm, I'm concerned about this press attention that we're getting, because we've been cultivating people on the expectation that we're going to get some major donations, and we have gotten some, but we expect and we need to continue getting them. We're also just starting now to do outreach to foundations, which is a natural partner for us, right? They're mission-driven organizations that want to fund good works in the world. So we're starting to have conversations with them, and it's fairly likely that foundation support will grow as a, as a percentage of the total budget over time. What about Mike Godwin's work with the um, – like he was working on getting large – uh, continuing institutional-type um, funding sources. I, I remember he was working on licensing deals with the, the trademark, for example, and, and uh, fee- selling access to the feeds to, the, to, to get the you know low-latency access to the database. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we've always done um, little bits about the live feeds. Is that what you mean? That, that's one aspect of it, yes. Yeah, because we've always done those to a degree, right? The earned income piece of the revenue of the foundation has always been very, very small, and it probably will continue to be, relatively speaking, a small amount of the revenue that we bring in. But we do have Kul Takanawadwa, who's our new head of business development. He's not that new anymore. I think he came to us in December. And Cool is looking at ways that we can make money, that we can you know, do earned income in ways that are consistent with the mission and don't distract too much from the mission work, but do bring in more money. I don't ever expect that that piece is going to be a really significant revenue source for us, and that's fine. What we're looking to do, really, um, is just stability, right? We want enough different sources of income that we're not overly dependent on any one particular source, but I expect and I hope that our, our, the bulk of our money, or at least a large chunk of our money, is always going to come from small donations from lots of people. So the last fundraiser, 45,000 people donated an average of $30 each. And I have friends in public broadcasting in America, which is listener-supported, right? And they tell me they would kill for that. They love that. They think that is terrific, right? Because what it speaks to is that you're broadly relevant. People like you. There is lots of goodwill out there. And so obviously we want that to continue. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I, the, only, the only question I wanted to ask, you know, then uh, the, you'll be aware of the, of the criticisms of the move to San Fran. And the, there, there are certainly – I don't share these views, but, but there's a lot of views out there that, that, um, that I think the foundation really should be a kind of, you know, brass tax, just a basic pay for, you know, 70% or 80% of the budget should be on the bandwidth and the computer and – and that sort of uh, angle. Um, do you feel confident, Sue, in your sort of, I guess, in your heart that, that the move and the, the additional expenditure, um, for example, the, the, the really, you know, the size compared to a few years ago, the, the cost of em- the employment costs and the travel costs are, are now a lot bigger. Um, do you yeah. feel confident that that results in a, in a better, uh, you know, in, in the foundation achieving its mission more? I absolutely do. And I'll tell you why. Like when I came to the organization, this is a strange sounding thing to say, but bear with me. When I came to the organization, it was understanding in a whole bunch of areas, right? So when I came, we had no lawyer, right? Mike Godwin came shortly after me, but we had no lawyer. And for an organization like this one, clearly we need a lawyer, right? We couldn't function without one. 
When I came, we had no one in charge of fundraising, and I was so surprised by that when I walked in the door because I've never heard of a nonprofit that doesn't have someone responsible for fundraising. I'm not saying we didn't do fundraising. We did, but it was nobody's job to do it, and we weren't very sophisticated in how we did it. You know, we're still not, but eventually we will be more so anyway. We had a halftime accountant when I started with the organization. One of the first things I did was change the halftime accountants. Are you guys there? Because I feel cut out. Yeah, yeah. We, we hear you loud and clear, Sue. Okay. So one of the first things I did was take the accountant from halftime to full-time. We needed a full-time accountant. We're about to add another software developer to the staff, which I think is long overdue, right? It's only Brian and Tim, and they have tons and tons and tons of work to do. You know, so I guess the upshot is that the organization, in my opinion, wasn't sustainable operating as it was. It was great, and everybody was really proud of the fact that it operated on a shoestring. And I remember one of the first things I said to the board was, how wedded are you to this idea that you have fewer than 10 employees, right? Because that's incredible, but it's also not really sustainable. So the idea is, you know, that I think when I came, there were 10 employees. I think it's fairly likely that by 2010, we might go up to 25 employees. But I don't see us going to 200. I don't see us going to 2,000. And I think, obviously, the organization does a remarkable job for the size of the staff. You know, I talked to a couple of foundation executives today who were saying to me that they, they just think it's remarkable how much is accomplished. Obviously, it's like an iceberg. Most of it is the volunteers, right? The staff is just facilitating the work of the volunteers. But you need just a little bit more staff to do that properly and do that well. How, how do you see those – what do you see those jobs of, you know, those 25 members of the staff that you're kind of envisioning? You know, what would they be doing, for example? Well, um, for example, you know, we now have – um, a CFO, and we have an accountant, and we have a lawyer, and we have someone doing biz dev, and we're going to eventually have a fundraiser, right? So we have an admin piece, an administrative or legal piece that just keeps things going, right? Any organization needs, any nonprofit needs that, that piece, right? We also need, I think, to invest a little bit further in the technology piece. So, you know, thus far, <clears throat> we have a CTO, and we have a, a developer, and we have two sysadmins, right? That's you're, you're counting Mark. Are you counting Mark Bergsma? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mark and Rob Halsell. Yeah, for the systems. So, you know, by contrast, at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the technical team is about 65 people. Now, our technical team of four underrepresents reality because, of course, there are lots of volunteers involved as well, right? And they do real work and they do lots of work. But still, you know, we need a couple more developers so we can push through things like single-user login or stable versions. I would kill to have some of my feature requests filled, especially for check users. (laughs) Yeah, you and thousands of other people, I'm sure, right? So, you know, Brian is amazing in what he manages to get done, but he needs a little bit, just a little bit more help, right? And then the other piece of the world that I imagine growing, again, just a little bit, is a sort of mission-related partnerships development piece, right? So we, we want to be able to work more closely with other nonprofits whose missions are lined up with ours and who want to do interesting things. So we have this small project happening right now with PDA Press, you know, where they're helping the key to print technology. That's great, right? And it was funded, and it's going to happen, and it's, it's a good project. But we need a couple of people just to facilitate conversations like that so that we can do more of those kinds of things. I'll tell you, since I came here, you know, because I come from the media, a lot of my 
old friends and colleagues will call me and say, hey, we want to work with you guys. What can we do? You know, And I spend the first hour of every conversation just explaining to them a little bit, just the basics, right, about Wikipedia, how it works, what is a free license, what can you do, what, what would be helpful and productive and useful, right? Literally, at this point, we don't have enough staff to keep up with all the people calling and asking us those questions. And so we just need, like, literally, just people to facilitate conversations, just people to talk to other people, tell them how to work with us, tell them how we can be useful together. That's all. Yeah, and that's and uh, thanks very much for coming on and um, and talking about the you know the the foundation and, and what it's up to. Would, um, Sue, would you be prepared to sort of come on again and and, and you know? In, oh yeah, in, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, just before I move on through the topic list, then, I'd, just a word. Basically, um, these podcasts are very, <laughs> they're reasonably technically easy to achieve. You just launch a Skype cast and record it. And um, I'd encourage any editors listening that, that they really could do the same. And um, and people like Sue and, and indeed Raoul and, and many others have been fantastic at making themselves available. And um, I hope that we can encourage some some sort of real world uh, conversations about not just these foundation issues, but you know any issues related to Wikipedia and Wikimedia. And uh, with that in mind, I'm just looking at the, the, uh, what we sort of got got up next, and um, it'd, be, it'd be nice to move on to some more just sort of uh, more blue sky stuff, more stuff that comes with a smile, um, which is related to uh, ways of motivating editors and encouraging encouraging best practice on Wikipedia. Um, and uh, I know that we, we chatted, Lil, Raoul and I, we, Raoul and, and the room chatted last time about the featured article process, but we've got Darova here today, and I know that, Darova, you're involved in, um, in a whole bunch of sort of specific uh, uh, setups, such as the Triple Crown and all sorts of ways of motivating, and I wondered if you wanted to say a few words on that. Well, thank you. Um, if you'd like to talk about the Triple Crowns, I'd be glad to. They're 11 months old now, and I've been very, very flattered by how much interest there's been in them. What are they, Robert? Explain exactly what they are. Okay, well, the idea is that if somebody writes um, one piece of featured content, plus one good article, plus uh, one article that gets into Did You Know?, then you qualify for a triple crown. And, of course, in order to get people to keep on contributing, I keep on making new levels of triple crown as more people achieve the best one that's already there. What, what have you got up to now? Um, well, right now I've got the Alexander the Great uh, edition where you have to have 15 of each. And there's actually <laughs> someone who's on the verge of getting it. 15 featured articles or just featured pieces of content? Pieces of featured content, um, I deliberately decided to make it as broad as possible in that respect uh, because I wanted to encourage all kinds of featured content. In fact, I've got something I guess I'll just mention for the first time here. I haven't announced it publicly yet, but there's something related to the Triple Crown I'm thinking of introducing called that I'll call the Steeplechase which means out of the six different types of featured content that w is on Wikipedia, um, you would have to get at least five of them in order to get a steeplechase. <laughs> and I've got to say, like, so how I, many, roughly, Darova, how many of these have you, have you handed out? Um, the last time I did a firm check was at the end of the year, and it was at about 108. We've added a, added a couple dozen since then. So there's quite a few editors who have triple crowns of some sort. 
And is, is the Triple Crown the only thing? Well, you, you've, you've just mentioned the steeplechase. I've got to say, I just, I just think they're great fun. And I've noticed, wandering through your talk page from time to time, I've noticed a lot of people, you know, you've got, you've got your own clerks working away there now, right? I, I've got an assistant because it got big enough that, you know, having somebody else to help read through that. Um, I, I don't want to see the particular topic, but, you know, once in a while you'll find a topic that no matter how much of a trivia junkie you are, it just doesn't fire you. And I had somebody who needed a, a Napoleonic triple crown, which meant five of each. And it was almost all combined on this one topic that I was having the hardest time with. So I asked for <laughs> an assistant from someone who was doing pretty well himself. Well, that's very cool. And just, you know, I, I wanted to draw attention to it because uh, I think there's a, you know, we often, the notice boards are often full of, um, well, let's call it drama. That's the word that people use. And um, I sense that that's sometimes there's a lot of energy that's waiting to be harnessed. And and I just I just saw what you were up to there, and I thought that was cool. Um, and it's a good way of if you're interested in, in getting some, you know, some credit, but no, well not credit, some reward, I guess. They're they're very fancy. They get you get your own little pictures and stuff, don't you? When when you uh, achieve yes. the level. Some recognition. Um, one other thing I do want to mention is that Wiki Projects can get their own special edition. Uh, triple crowns. I will, I will Photoshop in. In fact, the Australian Wiki Project has its own crown. There's a little koala wearing a crown in the center of it. <laughs> Very cool. And um, basically, what you need is five people from the same Wiki Project, each qualifying for one triple crown with work in that Wiki Project. And it's okay if you collaborate. More than two people can. Uh, you know, more than one person can take credit for the same good article as long as you're both contributing a certain amount to it. So it's a great um, kind of a motivator for good article drives and featured article drives. And uh, any questions, if anyone, you know, uh, any questions should, should come to you, really, shouldn't they? If, if people have got their sure. own, uh, they want to apply. And in fact, Sue, I'll you're be... still there, Sue? I am. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about how much, uh, I, I meant to do this at the beginning, but while we're talking about motivating people to contribute great content, um, have, you, have you edited much? No, I, I've only edited, I used to edit anonymously for a long time, which I think is like a normal pattern, you know? Like, I yeah, didn't yeah. edit, you know, lots, but I edited routinely anonymously. Um, but I don't edit much now. Well, if you're tempted to go for an executive director tiara or, a, or one of the <laughs> crowns, then, then Daroma's the girl. We've got to encourage, um, encourage some great contributions. And, of course, um, uh, Raoul, you've contributed featured articles, but you, uh, have you been that active in, in you know, other featured areas, photos, uh, GAs, etc.? I have four, maybe six featured pictures, um, and I kind of, I've uploaded most of the featured sounds, uh, so several of the featured sounds, of which there are only about ten or so. Um, the featured portals and good articles and whatnot, I, ha I haven't really had much experience with. But there, there may be a calling for a, a featured sound triple crown just, or, or something did, did, like did that. Did you know? I did you know? I just found that I had the first one ever. I didn't even realize that. Really, congratulations! That's <laughs> there you go. Did you know? Yes, you did. <laughs> well, no, you didn't actually. Anyway, your talk of featured pictures brings us nicely onto the other. Uh, Darova, you've written an article for the Signpost, which is related to yes. the wealth of public domain photography, and well, not just photography, but images in general. And I've noticed uh, you've you've uh, you've worked very hard personally at, at, at mining these public domain photos. How many featured pictures have you are you up to now? 
Uh, it's somewhere between 35 and 40. Which is, I, I mean, I that's very impressive. Oh, thank you. Uh, once you once you kind of um, get, how do you put it, once you get in the swing of it, and once you have the, the basic uh, elements ironed out, it's very, very easy to just start racking up a count. The hardest one is the first one. In fact, getting your first featured picture as a restoration might be as harder than getting your first featured article. But then your second and third and fourth become progressively easier. So to be clear, you, how, how do you go about finding, you know, uh, an old picture, uh, presumably in, in some, you know, maybe in a library? Or, or I'll, I'll ask you a bit about that. And then talk us through just briefly the process of how you go about it and how someone, someone else could go about it. Well, first, you have to make sure that the material really is public domain. Um, you have to educate yourself a little bit about um, what copyright is and what the difference between Wikipedia and Wikimedia Commons um, licensing standards are. Occasionally, something is public domain in the United States, but not public domain yet in, the, in, in another country that has a claim to copyright on it. And so you need to um, make sure you're not wasting your time upload to the proper project, uh, either scan or find from another website. And um, if you've got an eye for material that has potential, start going to work with it. Uh, there are freeware image manipulation programs. I happen to be using Photoshop CS3 Extended, but you don't have to use that. You don't have to... And as uh, an example, to give, give, to give some examples, some of the examples of your featured work, what, whose photography and, and sort of, you know, where, where do you get your material? I would say my most, uh, how would I say, the, the source that I pilfer the most often is the Library of Congress archives. They do beautiful jobs of scanning there, very clean files. You want to get something that doesn't have any lossy compression or JPEG artifacting. Um, you want to have something that's done on a clear, high-resolution scanner. Do you get those from Thomas, which is the Library of Congress website, possibly? Yes, I do. Oh, it's, how do you deal with that? It's like the most disorganized website on the Internet. That's true. But that's also one reason that just when you think that you've, you've uh, played out a certain area, you start a different search combination, and, and suddenly you find, you know, 12 different things that might be featureable. This, this so is not a good feature, by the way, the fact that you can just... <laughs> Well, it's got fringe benefits. Their disorganization is our pleasure because uh, people who are looking find stumble across these gems. And there really are some great photos. I should say there's a link on the Skypecast page um, and it's appearing in the signpost to, to some of that stuff. So you can you can you can look at it a bit more there. Um, and moving along now, just because we're you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, various different things. Uh, Raoul, you you flicked us a link earlier about something that uh, well, I was it's quite a coincidence. Tell us about it. It's it's an unbelievable coincidence. Um, February twenty seventh, so about three weeks ago, the featured article on the front page of Wikipedia was Axis naval activity in Australian waters, and of which the most famous example is the sinking of the HMAS Sydney by a German raider in, in nineteen forty two. Excuse me, forty one. Um, <laughs> At, at the time, you know, both ships sank and neither of them had ever, you know, been found again. That The wrecks were missing. And three weeks after it was featured on the main page, they were found today. I thought that was a, just, just an astounding coincidence. <laughs> so, Sue, if you're in talking with potential donors, you must start to refer to Wikipedia's ability to locate long-lost battleships <laughs> as well. It's very impressive. <laughs> 
it's you know I, I don't know if they used a wiki effort to find it. I suspect uh, high tech imaging equipment was probably more involved, but it's quite a coincidence, no doubt. <laughs> and, it's, and that's just where you're from, is it not, Peter? Uh, it's where I'm speaking from. Yeah, I was not involved. I didn't help find it at all. But uh, it was front page news down here. I'm talking from Sydney. Um, so yeah, and I, I and I had the recollection. I was able. I was kind of uh, already informed. Uh, Raoul, what's on the main page today? On the main page today is Princess Louise, Duchess of Argyle. That's the featured article for today. So the, the how, we, how is she going to? How is she going to pop the into the news in a fortnight or so? I, I have no idea. The one that was interesting was a couple days ago, um, trapped in the closet, the South Park uh, Scientology episode. It was oh, yeah. requested for. It was requested so that it would coincide with the second, um, the anonymous Scientology protests. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was yeah. requested to you know to to coincide with those, and some people thought it was you know a crazy coincidence. Well, that was not a coincidence. That was you know by request. Oh, you're giving you you're playing your hand now, Raoul. You're, you're telling too much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the other thing that um, the other thing that we'll close with actually today, which which is related to an ongoing sort of saga, and I guess uh, I guess one of the things. In fact, Sue, do you do you have issues with donors? Does the credibility issue come up? I, I mean, I'm, I know you do more than just talk yeah. to donors, but you. Yeah, it no, does. for sure, it absolutely does come up. Yep. And the uh, it's a it's a constant, you know, love hate hate love, and and it's a it's kind of complex relationship with academia and even the media at large because um, it's no surprise, Sue, to hear you say that you spend about an hour describing Wikipedia because you, you can't really understand it until you. Well, I don't think anyone, you know, it's it's very hard to to get. Um, but regardless, the uh, in, in the latest news, um, slash dotted. I don't know if it was front page, but it was slash dotted recently. Um, was the news that the physics review letters, which uh, I gather is a very well respected. Um, Scientific it's, one of, it's one of the top journals in the field, it said. One of the top journals, yeah. And, and they've, um, not so much related purely to Wikipedia, but they've rejected a paper by Jonathan Oppenheim, I gather, um, because the authors wished to have some sort of free licensing or effectively they wished to be able to uh, show their work on a, on which wiki was it, Ralph? Yeah, uh, there were two that were suggested, QuantWiki or QuantumWiki and Scholala. Let me, hold on, let me pop up the email here that actually described it. Um, essentially, there are two there are two very, very in-depth uh, physics-related wikis. One is related to quantum physics, and the other one, just I think, physics in general. And the desire was that, that people could um, license their contributions to the journal such that they would be allowed to then turn around and post them on the wikis, their, their data and whatnot. Here, I have it here. Um, and I, I suppose there must be some feeling that this this must relate to intellectual property or to the the feeling in the journal that they need to you know either own it or something. And I guess Sue, that's you know you you sort of mentioned that it's very much part of the foundation's mission to support uh, beyond just the encyclopedia, the maintenance thereof, the supporting of free knowledge and open open licensing and things like that. Have you got the email there, Raoul? Uh, well, there it is. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, first of all, I, w- I want to emphasize that um, Dr. Oppenheim, uh, Jonathan Oppenheim, is the physicist responsible, and he he was um, he wanted me to point out that or he mentioned in his email that the physics letters they're actually as journals go they're pretty good as these things uh, they they actually give you a choice of four licenses none of which are quite free enough but. But you know they're they're kind of thinking in that direction. There there's some that are apparently even worse. 
Um, the two that he w- was looking at were Quanti- Quantiki, Q-U-A-N-T-I-K-I, and Sklogwiki, S-K-L-O-G-W-I-K-I. And, and one presumes that that, for example, if they're wikis, if they use the Creative Commons or GFDL, uh, it, it's possible that we could, that Wikipedia could, uh, could then import information from Right. That was, that was actually one of the arguments in favor of it was that, you know, we can always use deep science pictures, you know, electron microscope scans or whatever. Even if we're not replicating the research, just the fact that the pictures themselves could be really useful for illustrating articles on certain concepts. I should yeah. say, Ken, though, because not all Creative Commons licenses are accepted. On, and that's, uh, that's, that's actually that's the second point I wanted to make is that apparently I think that the main dividing issue is over the use of the commercial or non-commercial licenses. Like the, my understanding was that the journal would be okay if they were non-commercial licensed so that other journals couldn't pick it up and then copy them. And then, and then it, yeah. it just, I, my understanding was that the issue kind of revolves around the commercial versus non-commercial. Um, license. And Ra, would you, would you advocate, you know, I mean, I'd ask you, First of all, I presume you'd advocate uh, uh, the journals adopting, to some degree, an open standard. I'm, secondly, I'm writing. I'm trying to. Re- I'm trying to write a press release supporting the guy. You know, so <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I have. I suggested to the found on the communications committee that the foundation should release a press a release supporting this guy, saying that you know we really do think this is a good idea. And um, obviously, I haven't written it yet, but you know we're kind of moving in that. And and everyone on the I should mention everyone more or less thought it was a really good idea that we should support this guy. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it, your, is it sort of a consensus view, and I'm someone that's a bit late to the party on this, but um, is it a consensus view that uh, th- th- this is a pretty much a win, uh, uh, certainly a win and no-lose situation, that are the journal just not understanding that the, uh, the benefits of the open license, and are they, are they nervous about something that isn't real, do you think? Well, well, they're they're nervous about their their business model. The, the business model of a journal is restricting access to information and charging people to access it. And I mean, this is in many cases research already paid for by public tax dollars through the NSF. So it's it's they're essentially trying to lock up content paid for by your tax dollars. Or I mean, I guess if, if you're not American, you know, our tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this one will no doubt, uh, uh, we'll, you know, we'll watch this one and we'll come back to it because it's, I think the licensing issues generally are, you know, it's interesting to hear the foundation talk in terms of support, not just running the website, but kind of looking. Um, I, I read some posts by Michael Snow uh, at the Wickback and he was sort of saying Wickback being a discussion forum, um, and Wickback.com that is. And uh, he was sort of saying that the, the mission, the foundation has to embrace the larger mission as well of, of going out there and, and, you know, really involving itself a little bit in things like this, cheerleading for open standards and, and waving well, the flag a bit. This is not well, those things. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Sue. Well, I know this is Le- uh, Derova, actually. Sorry, I wanted Derova. to ask you, um, as far as the journal's business model, would it work against them in any way if they waited a certain amount of time past publication and then switched over to a free license? Because it would seem to me that only really the current issue is what they're interested in selling, and something maybe four to six months old and older than that, uh, it would possibly raise their profile, raise their brand val- uh, recognition in some way. Um, if they released that uh, more generally at the point where normally it would only be accessible through libraries anyway? That's that's a very good point. Um, let me reply to those questions in reverse order. Okay. Uh, uh, 
a lot of library I mean libraries don't get access to these journals for free either. They they have to pay um, like like my university, my university through the library, you know, over over the the on campus network, they subscribe to like fifty or a hundred or possibly even more um, different services. You know, like like my my department pays for the a blanket IEEE subscription, so I have access to all the IEEE articles published since like nineteen ninety or something. You know, we get access to um, the New York Times archives and and all of these things, and those, that costs a lot of money. And so oh, I'm just, sure. It's not just, I mean, if I'm searching for an article that was published, you know, on uh, on some topic related to my master's thesis, it doesn't matter if it was published a month ago or six months ago or three years ago. If I need it, I need it. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're more than happy to charge people to access that. That's what their business model is based on. So it it does, you know, it does impact on that. But but the, but the first point you made, you know, the, the, is exactly what has been suggested. That is to say, um, kind of a... You know, a six-month uh, sunset period where they have, you know, you have to pay for access. But if you want anything after like six months, then you know, then that's completely free. This has been, this is what this is the same argument that's been going on with a lot of like the top-tier journals. Um, the other alternative that's kind of been introduced, but is much having much more difficulty getting off the ground, is um, open open content journals, journals you can submit to, uh, and and everything there is open. The problem is that. The value of a journal is its reputation, entirely its reputation. So, you know, if you, if you look at the proceedings of like high-level conferences, uh, people will people will you know, researchers like myself will kill to get into those. They and and it and becomes a question of you know your your values. Do you want to you would be free or you know your academic reputation and the ability to publish in a top-flight conference. And that's that's a really tough to, a really tough call to make. It's a, it's one of these. I mean, the, the issue. This issue has. It's an interesting context. This you know highly respected academic journal, but it's a it's a perennial issue. It's a it's a very you know it's the evolution of, of how these things run because I think um, Darova, your point about m- effectively you can you can gain value from things like improving your brand by having an open standard. Um, I think that's gonna that's just gonna take a bit of time for people to understand. Um, and I would say. Raoul, I'll ask you this, actually. Is the tide going in the right direction, would you say? Are more people becoming more open? Oh, absolutely. Um, there is, I mean, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was no awareness of this topic. Nobody cared, really. Um, yeah. now, now the idea is getting out, and especially, especially in science, which is, you know, which, which is presupposes, uh, you know, open access to information, and you know, even even more so because it's paid for by the public. Oftentimes, uh, there is yeah. sort of a a pre a, an, almost an automatic recognition of the fact that this should be free or should be you know accessible for no or low cost. And and that the idea and in some of, in some uh, small way you could <laughs> you never know. Perhaps perhaps Wikipedia's had a role in that by being a a famously open uh, the encyclopedia anyone can edit. Maybe that maybe there's a drip drip of awareness, or um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, certainly we'd we'd be hoping to encourage open standards in academia, that's, that's, if only so that, we can steal goes, their content. That, that's why the foundation needs to support this kind of stuff because you know the whole it goes under the whole aegis of you know opening awareness to free culture and and what should be free, you know, and and you should be able to copy it and change it, make derivatives and whatnot, and and and. So it really does. It really does behoove the foundation to go out there and and push these kinds of issues and make them more public. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think with that, guys, I'm going to say thank you to one and all for coming along. Uh, Major Lee, are you still awake? Yeah, I'm still here. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming down and, uh, and joining us. Any any final uh, leaving thoughts from you? Uh, no, I think I've been inside. Fantastic. Darova, thanks for coming by. Um, any thoughts from you? No, thank you very much for inviting me. An absolute pleasure. And Raoul, thanks for thanks for coming by as well. Um, it's, sure. it's been great. Any thoughts from you? Uh, no, I just thought that um, it's been a very interesting uh, podcast this time. Yeah, it's been it's and particular thanks, of course, not that we're not all interesting people, but particular thanks to Sue uh, for coming down. I don't know if you're still there, Sue. I'm still here. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for for coming and joining us. Um, I'm gonna hit stop button on the recording and and, uh, and see you all next time, folks. Ta-da.